0: DynastyLeagueFootball.com and the DLF family, a podcast. That's Tommy B. I'm the SFD. It's a super flex, super show, and here we go. Tommy, thank you for coming back on. I mean, it, like we might as well just get everybody used to this now. Uh, we know that you're going to be on here. like You're going to be co-hosting this thing with me at least through the season and uh you know cards on the table my my feeling on it is well beyond the season but you know uh, we might as well just get used to people get people used to uh having you on here and uh i mean it just kind of uh, the last episode that we did was you and i doing an ask me anything episode this was back in june god it's been almost a month so you know, we're back here together to do an Ask Me Anything episode. And it just feels like all is right with the world.
1: Yeah, this is quickly becoming my happy place because we talk a lot of Dynasty Theory and I just love doing that. It's my favorite part of playing this game. And when when you threw out the Ask Me Anything, the Super Friends did not disappoint. They gave us some fantastic questions. And I think, honestly, you and I could talk all night about what they delivered for us. So I'm just excited to get into it, man.
0: Seriously, this is, I I say it all the time. This is a thinking person's podcast. Uh, We have the most thoughtful listeners and uh, like it's, it's always higher level stuff. We're not just talking about, Oh, who should I take? You know, uh, Tony Pollard or, or Nick Chubb, you know, (laughs) like it's, in fact, we don't get into names a whole lot. Like that's how that's how you know that people are really thinking about strategy, you know, because I say it all the time. Then if you get the, the roster construction, right. And you know, whatever that looks like, whether it's, it's the flywheel, whether it's um, you know, whether it's whatever your preferred roster build is, once you get there, the names don't really matter. (laughs) Like if you have an understanding, of the way the positions behave, and you construct your roster based around that. It doesn't matter who it is that you took. So uh, it it really feels like the super friends understand that side of it and they're looking more for all right, so how do I got how do I get to the roster build that I want? I don't necessarily need names, I just need a blueprint for how to how to get to that point where the names don't matter.
1: Absolutely. And I'm hearing words like leverage a lot more. And so what that brings to me is these people, they want to not only build these kick-ass teams in the right way, they want to figure out how can they influence their league mates decisions as well. And that's just music to my ears. And so I I hope we can get into that tonight because there's a lot of ways right now at this time of year that you can start to make those moves that are going to force your opponents into suboptimal builds.
0: That's one of my favorite things about like both QBX and did we ever name your strategy, your, your, uh, you know, top five quarterbacks strategy?
1: I don't think so. We've had some, some folks put out some names and I think they're really good, but I haven't, I haven't quite given it a name yet. I will say mm-hmm. though, I have a team that had Josh Allen, uh, Trevor Lawrence, Deshaun Watson, and and had one more i just picked up jalen hurts yesterday too so <laughs> i'm fully committed to this elite QB build <laughs> yeah. i i can't wait to see where it goes I, i'm just as interested as everyone else to see what happens
0: yeah <laughs> yeah I, like it, obviously like that's not the it's not the reason to do it like yeah. you're not really Looking what at what everybody else is doing and saying, all right, well, you know, if if that's the move they're going to make, then this is the move I'm going to make. Like to me, that's that's not the reason to do something, um, you know, it, because then, I mean, we start falling into some patterns of of uh, reacting to to the moves that they made. And I'm all about being proactive, man. I'm all about like saying, this is what I'm going to do and screw you if you, if you're going to try and block me, like you're not going to be able to, cause I'm just committed to it. I'm not going to pivot off of what I'm doing. I'm not going to pivot off of what I know works. So, you know, and, and so the, the second you start kind of trying to react to other people is the second that you kind of bail on you know, the, the plan that you had committed to ahead of time. So, so that's not the reason to do these strategies, but like a, a very fun byproduct is seeing what happens when you've got five quarterbacks, especially if they're the top five quarterbacks or, you know, five of the top eight or whatever, you know, whatever you end up with and seeing the reaction from the rest of the league, you know, like, This is also, by the way, why I I invented Superflex bingo, just because like we all, we all hear the same stuff and it's meant to kind of disarm it a little bit. All the, all the, oh, you're, you know, you're, you're wasting roster space on quarterbacks, all those points on your bench. Nobody's going to trade with you. I know that you're trying to, you know, create some kind of monopoly, but nobody's going to trade with you. So it's not going to work. Um, You know, and then it turns into you're a dick who's killing the league. (laughs) (laughs) I got
1: exactly that this week. People, people are upset. They don't like it when you take away the shiny toys. But you know what? That's just the first step, first step towards acceptance. And they're just going to have to deal with it because they're my quarterbacks now. (laughs) Yeah.
0: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) yep that's exactly it and maybe there's some life lessons to learn along the way (laughs) 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 about life not always being fair and going the way you want to and making choices (laughs) and uh, anyways uh yeah so yeah like it like i said it, it it sometimes it can make it fun to just like sit back and watch everybody scramble um, that's not the reason to do it. I don't believe that. I don't even think that the trade leverage is the reason to do it. And I kind of don't think you either, You do either.
1: Like, not at all. This is a way to completely change the way that leagues operate, that who who other people are rostering, what decisions they're making about how they build their team, how they construct the different positions. And I mean, once you do something really extreme in a small market like this, you're going to have unintended consequences. And we're all just going to have to be on this journey together once we do these types of builds, because every market is going to be a little bit different.
0: Yep, Absolutely. Yeah. Let's, so let's jump into some, ask me anything. We, we were a little worried that we were going to run out of time because we got so many questions and we saw, got such good questions. Like this is definitely going to turn into some serious discussion especially mm-hmm. eight minutes in and we're still introducing the damn thing so yeah we're <laughs> in big trouble here Tommy. but so let's let's go ahead and jump in uh Colin um, messaged both of us uh, with a question and first of all Colin thank you for listening thank you for your service um, and uh it's uh it was it, it was a very pleasant. Uh, treat to, um, to get to chat a little bit, but I, he, he, I, I had to make sure not to answer his question in the chat, um, so that we could do it here on our, ask me anything, but uh, now I'm, I'm, I'm ready to go on this, Tommy.
1: Yeah, me too. I want to hear your ideas first because yes, it was a super thoughtful question yeah. and it gets right into redraft strategy, which you and I haven't talked too much about
0: yeah and what's interesting too uh, so uh, i'm i'm gonna read his question to you so how would you approach a 12 team half ppr super flex redraft league um you've got two flex spots nine bench spots and four ir so you know to, so colin's point is this looks like a dynasty roster you know which is interesting to me because this time of year we start talking about you know in dynasty leagues you start to take a redraft approach so I think it's kind of interesting for a redraft league to be taking a dynasty approach, but that's kind of what we're doing here. Uh, Colin has the one-on-one um, the draft has a, a third round reversal and then a reversal in the seventh round as well. Uh, back to the original uh, draft order plan was to go Pat Mahomes at one one for consistency, but I'm trying to figure out when to go after my QB two or QB three he says i like qbx but i'm not sure if the value is worth it when i'm on the ends um no offense taken Um, not like he was apologizing for that part he said that with quite a bit of confidence so uh but yeah like it it, that was weird (laughs) my microphone just shot up towards the ceiling that was weird um so anyways uh yeah I mean uh, yeah Mahomes feels like kind of the slam dunk 101 even in redraft uh I like I mean I I one thing I mean just to start there I don't what I would say in a redraft I where I'm gonna, I'm going to take a step I'm going to back off of what I just said I don't think Pat Mahomes needs to be 101 in redraft I think he probably should. I don't even know about should. I'm just like, I'm going to back all the way out of this. I don't think if I was at one-on-one, I don't think I would necessarily take Pat Mahomes unless I'm convinced that he's going to be the QB one for the entire season. And I'm, I mean, I think that he's got a better shot than anybody else, but I'll be honest with you. Like, if if we're looking for the type of season that, for instance, Jalen hurts just had, you know, if we're chasing that and, you know, you and I seem to both agree on the the premise, Trevor Lawrence seems like the breakout candidate this year, you know, the massive, massive breakout, like he already kind of started it, Mm -hmm. um, you know, in the middle of the 2022 season, which is right in line with a lot with most quarterbacks in their development. That first year is garbage, varying levels of garbage. Second year starts off slow. And then around by Thanksgiving, we're off and running. You know, so now it like it looks to me like this could be, it, it, he could be in for that type of season that we're going to wish we had gotten in on and there're going to be some guys drafted early in redraft superflex leagues you know quarterbacks drafted that we're going to say man if i had only taken trevor lawrence over blank i certainly could i i could see that with joe burrow i could absolutely see it with lamar jackson i think that guy sucks i could see it with josh allen you know, I could, I could see, I could see it with Jalen hurts. I it's, it's a lot harder to conceptualize it with Pat Mahomes, but you know, if, if like, if, if you can, if you can tell yourself that story where Trevor Lawrence has a better season than Pat Mahomes, take Pat Mahomes it's redraft. It's not like it's going to haunt you for multiple years. That's really interesting. I didn't think you were going to go to Trevor Lawrence. Yeah. Um,
1: <laughs> And, and I I don't think you're wrong. I don't think it's the move that I would make, Um, but it's yes. a super compelling case. I, I would ask the question, is trading allowed in this redraft league um, while mm-hmm. you're drafting? Because this does present a really interesting opportunity to trade back a few spots, especially if you're going to plant a flag on a Trevor Lawrence or a Justin Herbert or a Lamar Jackson, or whoever, is not the consensus 101, 102, 103. Last year, there were three quarterbacks who performed at this insane God-level tier where they were doing things that other people just weren't or couldn't. They were scoring 26 points per game um, in most traditional formats, and that gave you an edge that really just couldn't be matched almost anywhere else. If I were at the 101, in a redraft league, I would be really, really tempted to take Josh Allen. I love Mahomes. I think he's the best quarterback in the league. Um, I, I don't think that's super up for debate right now by most folks. But yeah, it's it's time to see what Josh Allen has done over the last several years. And that's just be an elite quarterback who runs, who has crazy touchdown upside And those those legs give him a floor that we just feel really safe about. And so I saw in this question that we're looking for consistency. I think that Josh Allen, if you're looking for consistency, it's not something that I traditionally do look for at the 101. Um, But if that's your goal, I think Josh Allen offers a little bit more of that than Pat Mahomes. I think both could throw for 40 to 50 touchdowns and nobody would be stunned. Mm -hmm. but I think that the rushing upside of Josh Allen is just, it's something we don't see out of Patrick Mahomes because I I don't know if you saw the quarterback show on Netflix. He said just candidly, that's his last option is to run. He does not want to run unless he has to.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Which, which I love, Mm -hmm. (laughs) like I I like, I prefer it when quarterbacks feel comfortable in the pocket Mm -hmm. or at least moving the pocket, extending the play. You know, but like it, it's the ones who just like their first instinct is to take off and run. That's when I have a tough time with them. Um, and that's why I'm a little nervous about Anthony Richardson. Um, mm. But, you know, I think it might takes it might take some pretty significant time to get him to a point where he's comfortable just standing in the pocket and throwing the ball. And I don't know if they're going to give him enough leash <laughs> to develop into that. So uh but anyway yeah digress big time there um yeah uh, yeah like, you know kind of to your point you know if if we just say at the end of the season both pat mahomes and josh allen had 50 total touch touchdowns each the assumption would be that pat mahomes threw all 50 yeah and josh allen probably threw like 35 and ran for 15 something like that and it's like, that's going to be, a, that's going to end up being a pretty big scoring difference. So, so, so I like that. Like, either way, to me, you know, we're, we're, we're kind of talking about the same thing, just with different names, but we're really kind of chasing some upside. It's so weird to say this but we're chasing some upside that we're not totally sure is there with Pat Mahomes. <laughs> like, <laughs> that's blasphemy, right? I there. know, right? It's, re- <laughs> it's a ridiculous statement, but you know, like that's kind of the, that's like the high T like the, the, uh, the, uh, you know, the, the masculine, uh, the masculine urge to, to chase upside would lead you away from the ridiculous floor of Pat Mahomes and I, I think, think you that should, that's fair. You should ask yourself who would
1: Dan Campbell draft if he had to draft a quarterback at 101. I think that should be your answer right there.
0: <laughs> <laughs> So Jared Goff it is. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Let's get to the second part of the question though because I think yeah. it's really interesting to think about all right, we've we've established uh you know one of these elite quarterbacks is going to be our first pick. Let's just say it's it's Patrick Mahomes. Let's just mm-hmm. go with that one. Yeah. Um but where do we go with the QB2, QB3 position given that this is a super flex, we're in a redraft league. Um it's a little bit deeper and we have those four IR spots. Where would you go?
0: Well, I so we talked about this off there. There's a very unique opportunity right now. Um, but this was this was a thought that you first uh, you you were the first one to verbalize this. So I'm gonna you know I'm gonna give you the credit and let you talk about what you would do at QB2. Well,
1: I I would recommend doing something pretty similar to what I did in Scott Fishbowl, and that's to scoop up Kyler Murray at value. Mm-hmm. Uh, right now in redraft leagues, he's going around QB24, um, which to me seems like a really good opportunity to chase some upside. Yeah. And so if I were thinking about anchoring my position with one of these elite guys at the 101, I would be comfortable potentially waiting and collecting Kyler Kyler Murray around QB 24. And then with my last pick in the draft or second to last right towards the end. I'd pick up one of these crusty guys that might get me a few weeks um, just to carry me over until Kyler Murray is ready to play. What do you think about that?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Like I said, it's, it's a pretty unique opportunity that we have right now with Kyler Murray because, because of the injury, because of some of the, you know, some of the news cycle stuff about what a cancer he is. Uh, People have kind of, uh, You know, they've kind of buried the lead, which is this is still one of the best football players on the planet. Like, this is, and this is a guy who throws the ball really well and runs the ball. Like, this is, this, this is, this should be one of the elite quarterbacks. Now, in redraft, it is a little bit tougher because you're not going to get him for the entire season, but you're going to get him for the part of the season that matters. You know, so it's just a matter of picking up some wins while you're waiting on him. And then you've got league winning upside with Kyler Murray and Pat Mahomes or whoever you, is your quarterback one once you get to those fantasy playoffs. So I absolutely love this. And then it also kind of op- opens some opportunities for you to really just kind of chase a little bit of a floor. Now, like you said, you can wait until the very end of the draft. And I mean, Colt McCoy even would be fine. And whoever that is at your QB one spot is going to make up whatever discrepancy there is. It's not going to be a huge one, but yeah, Colt McCoy. And and if there are better players available than that, I mean, you could consider Derek Carr. Mm I don't want to ever consider Derek Carr, but you could consider Derek Carr. If you're willing to do it a little bit sooner, you know, Kirk Cousins and Jared Goff and Russell Wilson, they all make a ton of sense because you're just looking for a little bit of a floor until Kyler Murray gets back. And anything you get beyond that floor is bonus. You're playing with house money at that point. And then Kyler Murray comes back and you're like, all right, so who am I starting? Kyler Murray in his first game back or red hot Jared Goff, you know? So like, there's, there are a lot of opportunities. Matthew Stafford would be another, another one that makes a lot of sense with Kyler Murray and doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Otherwise, you know, like guys like that, like all of a sudden, you know, some of those, some of those guys that you're not even necessarily sure that they're going to be full season starters, Ryan Tannehill, very much in play because you're you're not looking for the full season out of those guys if you get it great but what, what you're really looking for is just somebody to you know to to hold down the fort until Kyler Murray gets back and here's the beauty of it is
1: somebody is going to fall somebody's mm-hmm. going to go later than they should at the quarterback position in that range it may be Sam Howell or Mac Jones or whoever you're going to be able to find somebody at value later in the draft And it's really just a game of chicken. Be patient. Do not fold and overdraft a quarterback because you're concerned about filling that spot. You'll find a way to towards the end of the draft because what is this going to do if you hold off on drafting a quarterback? You're going to open up all sorts of other possibilities to really run up the score at other positions, right? So if you're holding Mm -hmm. off at that point, you can get all these uh, backup running backs. You can get An extra tight end, uh, depending on the format, you're opening yourself up to these different outcomes in ways that are hopefully going to be insulated later in the season with Kyler Murray. I just, I think that's what I would do if I were playing in this redraft league.
0: Man, like just the more I think about it, there's just so much value in Kyler Murray, like, especially in this format, he's got four IR spots. Yes. So Kyler Murray, you're just stashing on IR. He's not even taking up. And, and to me, that makes him a little bit of a reach candidate. I would get I would take him earlier than he would typically go just for the fact that I get to throw him on IR. And you know, like it, it kind of it gives me another spot for a quarterback. Mm-hmm. Even if I'm not going quarterback extreme, it you know. I I can draft. Let, let, let's say you do take Ryan Tannehill for instance, and with the idea that he's probably getting replaced later in the season, maybe you feel good about the fact that it could be Will Levis. I don't, but most people do. So you take Will Levis too, and if Ryan Tannehill gets replaced, you've you still have that third quarterback, and then you know you get to throw away Tannehill and activate Kyler Murray and you know, your, your roster mix never had to change. So you're not giving up roster space by having Kyler Murray. He's one of the few guys you're going to be able to stash on IR to start the season. So yeah, like, yeah, I, I, I just don't even, I, it like, it's to a point where I don't think there's another way to go about this. Like this is, (laughs) I'm just like in love with this strategy. I would do it anyways without the IR spots, but that makes it even stronger. And one of the concerns expressed in this question is the fact that he's drafting on
1: the ends. I think this is a potential advantage because you're going to control portions of the draft in meaningful ways. And one of those could be overdrafting Kyler Murray, knowing that you're
0: picking above ADP because you are at an end. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's true too. Man, a seventh round reversal. I, I don't think I've ever seen that. That would be interesting strategy but that i mean that one benefits him as well Mm -hmm. you know you make that you make the that five six turn and then you only have to wait around until you get your next pick so yeah that's a good one um do we need to that that feels is that pretty complete did we miss anything on that one
1: Colin, if you have any other questions, DM either of us. I'd love to help, and I, I really want to see how this turns out for you.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Want to hear more about that? Um, I just—that's also just—I say this all the time, but this is how I spend my free time. This is how I want to spend my free time. This is this is the way that I forget about work. And, you know, stuff that pisses me off or lets me down, <laughs> you know, it, it lets me forget that there's an entire society full of awful drivers out there and <laughs> that it's a hundred freaking degrees and dry here in Colorado. I, all of that, like, this is my escape is getting to talk about uh fantasy football, whether it's here on the podcast or in DMs or on twitter x whatever (laughs) so yeah like the yeah absolutely you know don't don't hesitate um i'm trying to pull up our questions i was trying to vamp a little bit uh to buy us some time so i could scroll all the way through my
1: i've got uh, them here do you want me to kick one off
0: yes please
1: cool so i'm gonna combine two um from memo de la vega Um, Great questions, but I think they're kind of related. Um, So what do we expect from Kyle Pitts this season? And then to continue the conversation, could hoarding all of the top tight ends be a strategy in redraft?
0: Yeah. You want to start or do you want me to take it?
1: Sure. Yeah, I'll I'll give it a shot. Um, Let's start with Kyle Pitts. I think that the tight end position is a really tough one, right? There's only, Mm -hmm. I don't know if you're feeling optimistic, five tight ends that matter to any degree. And so when I think about Kyle Pitts, I see someone who has a yards per route run somewhere between a Pat Fryermuth and a George Kittle. And so that's sort of where I land my expectations, not just on that one stat, but that's that's a pretty general sense of how I feel about him. It's Kyle Pitts or what? I would love to have Mark Andrews on all my teams. I would love to have Travis Kelsey on all my teams, but only two teams out of 12 or 14 get that experience. And if you don't have those, then you need to think about the alternatives and what the cost is for those players. In Dynasty, Kyle Pitts has done things that very few football players have ever done, much less tight ends. Um, and so he's an enticing player. I have about 50% exposure of him across 18 leagues. And I feel really good about that. Some of those trades have been pretty expensive. Some of them have been pretty affordable. Um, this year I traded, uh, Kittle and Ridley for Pitts, for example. I think that that's a pretty Mm -hmm. fair way to acquire him. Um, in redraft, what are my expectations of him? I don't know, somewhere in the fun to have in your lineup, but not making a difference range somewhere in the tight end five range. I think that's a, a good spot to have if, if he falls to you and it feels like the right, the right move, but it's not something in redraft that I'm going out to, to seek out in dynasty. I'm layering him with a Mark Andrews or a George Kittle or a Travis Kelsey, because I think when I have both of them, then I'm in a real position of power this year. And then moving forward, I want to have some form of leverage at the tight end position whenever possible. And he represents that possibility this year, but that probability moving forward in the future
0: years. What do you think? Yeah, I, I, I generally agree with that. Uh, I, I think I organize it maybe a little bit differently. So uh, and and I I have to give some credit to Scott Connor on this one. Um, I mean, I could just heap praise on Scott Connor all day. Like the guy's freaking brilliant. Um, he's also the reason that people have started to complain about quote unquote finance bros in uh, the in in the fantasy space, which is. Uh, To me, that should be a little bit of a compliment that they're that they're so annoyed with how good he is at this that they're willing to try and marginalize it by just saying, "Oh yeah, he's just trying to take the the finance bro approach," as if he doesn't know football better than those people do. (laughs) Like, anyways, he like he was tweeting about this the other day. I I saw this and he was talking about tight ends being, you know, so volatile that it's almost not worth worrying about them, you know? And so, uh, you know, kind of like you said, there's going to be five tight ends that really matter. We know Kelsey's one of those, as long as he's healthy, he's in that top five. So now we're looking for guys who fill one of four spots. Mark Andrews seems like very high probability to be in the top five. So now we're down to three spots. And you've got a. It's got to come from Kittle and and Pitts and Goddard and Hawkinson, and you know you can Chigakonku who who has been kind of a Twitter darling, and uh, you know Greg Dulcich is a potential breakout, and you know just all the different guys that we could be looking at. David Njoku and uh, all the different guys that we could consider at tight end, and three of them are actually going to hit inside the top five, like the odds are so bad of getting that right that it's almost not even worth trying. Now, what I would say, I guess, with uh, with Kyle Pitts, and, and, and by the way, I think that that kind of speaks to the, you know, hoarding the top tight ends piece of this. Like, to me, the way that you would want to do that, if you wanted to implement that strategy, it would be to take... Kelsey and Mark Andrews, call it a day. That's what hoarding tight ends looks like here in 2023. As far as Kyle Pitts goes, I mean, maybe he's got a little bit more, he's got a higher probability of being one of those three, you know, filling one of those three top five spots that are left. Then, you know, he has, to me, he probably has higher probability than Hawkinson. He has higher probability than Goddard. The problem is you're going to have to draft him as if he's going to get there, as if he's got the same probability as Mark Andrews, if not Travis Kelsey. And I'm just not willing to do that at tight end, especially in redraft. I'm just not willing to prioritize it, knowing how bad my odds are.
1: Yeah, and let's say you roll snake eyes. Let's say you hit, right? You somehow get the tight end one and the tight end two. whoever they happen to be what you're looking at from a equivalency standpoint is something like the wide receiver three or four for your tight end one and the wide receiver nine to 12 from your tight end two so they do matter but you can also get the wide receiver three or four and then the wide receiver nine or 12 at those spots you don't have to take that risk if you don't want to yeah i get it i really love tight ends i have too many of them on my dynasty teams but in redraft, it feels like a losing bet unless they somehow fall to places where they shouldn't. Mm-hmm. Um, I I do want to have one of those two on on my teams, Mark Andrews or Travis Kelsey, yeah. uh, whenever possible in redraft, though.
0: Yeah, I was talking with a friend the other day. Uh, you know, just a casual fantasy player, just plays. He's got two redraft leagues. Neither of them are super flex. It's you know pretty straightforward scoring. Um, you know, regular size lineups, regular size rosters still has a kicker defense, you know, and, uh, we were just kind of talking through options, uh, if, cause he has the first overall pick in his, in his draft and, you know, trying to figure out, you know, wide receiver, it's like, it, this is, this would pretty easily be Justin Jefferson except, you know, wide receivers, the wide receiver one overall basically never repeats and usually doesn't even come close. So, you know, if you're look again, kind of the same thing is with Pat Mahomes. If you're looking for upside, which that should really be the name of the game in redraft. I don't think Justin Jefferson has the upside just because of the fact that he would have to, he would have to perform a statistical anomaly by repeating is the wide receiver one overall it, you know, in order to realize the upside that we're chasing with the first overall pick in that particular format. So, you know, we shift to uh, it, but you know, who is that guy to me? It's CD lamb, but I, I mean, is someone really going to take CD lamb first overall in their, in their draft? I can't imagine that. So, you know, shift to running back. Who are the who are the guys at running back? Well, you know, Bijan Robinson could do it, but you know, maybe it's Nick Chubb. Like, there, it's the same thing. They're just kind of a bunch of different ways that you can go, and every single one of them has pros, and every single one of them has cons. And then you get to tight end, and there's one guy, and he's got the upside, he's got the floor. There's just like the like I said, the only way this doesn't work is if he gets hurt as long as he's healthy he's the unfair advantage at any position so to me 101 in redraft if it's you know a non-superflex should really be travis kelsey and i would probably consider it in (laughs) superflex redraft as well
1: that's not a bad argument let me ask you this though Travis Kelsey in Superflex redraft leagues is going right around 10 11 12 overall. Mark mm-hmm. Andrews is in the early 30s at the acquisition cost does that
0: change your mind at all? not really just because uh, I mean, it, like I get where you're going with that and mm-hmm. typically that's the way that I would operate but uh, it's just the fact that we're talking about, you know, what, like a 75% proposition with Mark Andrews versus 100% with Travis Kelsey, uh, 90, 95%. Like there, we, we do have to consider the possibility that he gets injured. Not going to try and predict that, but it's, it's possible. But like, it's just, it's such a sure thing with Kelsey. And, and I just feel like by the time it gets back to you, At the end of the second round, beginning of the third round, when you get back to that corner, that's the time to start attacking wide receiver and running back. That's, that's the other thing about it. sometimes it's, it's less about, you know, what are, what are the opportunity costs of making this pick? And it's more about what's going to allow me the most, uh, the most options, the most outs the next time I pick.
1: Yeah, and I'm going to say a numbers butt thing here. Um, if you look at the warp <laughs> of the QB1 and the tight end one, they're pretty close too. So I think you're convincing me. Nice. Travis, yeah, I think you're convincing him. He might need to be in that
0: 101 conversation, regardless of format. That's, that's a crazy yeah. thing to say. I know, right? Yeah. But that. Uh... And that's the thing. Like it just, it just really speaks to what a what a wasteland tight end continues to be. That like Travis Kelsey being such a difference over the rest of over the rest of the position just kind of like that. The fact that he's been there for several years. First of all, that he continues to be there even now. And then nobody is really coming close. Like the, like we feel good about Mark Andrews, but I mean, I, I would not bet anything on him being a top five. Ty- like I wouldn't bet on anybody other than Kelsey, you know, like it's, it's, it's tough, man. Like it, it, And it does, it just kind of makes the whole thing feel like I'm sitting here saying nice stuff about Travis Kelsey, but like the kind of the fine print on it is tight end sucks so bad (laughs) that you take the one guy who's actually going to do something. I don't know. Uh, how about this one from Josh? He said, if most wide receivers are the same, uh, save for maybe 10, this is something Josh and I have been talking a lot about in DMS as well. So, um, this is something that he's, he's kind of been, um, wrestling with, I think he's not totally sure if he wants to, uh, to believe my side of it. So I'm really, I'm going to let you go first on this one and, and, uh, um, see what your argument looks like and if it differs from mine. But so Josh says, if most wide receivers are the same, save for maybe 10, how do you navigate through trade values when the industry values about 30 wide receivers far higher than they actually help a dynasty roster? Just get your guys and not worry about it. Let others fight over the, the quote unquote next wide receiver. One use it as leverage.
1: Yeah. So I know you want to talk about wide receivers, Josh, um, <laughs> and we will, but this is a roster construction question. This is not a wide receiver question for me, um, mm-hmm. it's that's not how I'm going to approach it at least. Um, okay. I don't really care which of the 30 wide receivers I have. I would love to have Jamar Chase and Justin Jefferson on all my teams, but like, that's not the point of building mm-hmm. a dynasty roster where you have to start two or three wide receivers they can help. Um, but the value that you can push to other positions, using them as trade chips is just insane. Um, I traded Justin Jefferson for, uh, Justin Herbert and a second and a third in one super flex league. I'll, I'll I'll do that every day of the week because I know that I can have four or five wide receivers somewhere in that top 30 at such a cheap cost. And I'm going to start them every week. I I heard uh, Jordan McNamara, Analytics of Dynasty, talking about this the other day, where you treat the wide receiver position from a total points perspective. Numbers Butts hate talking about total points. They're like using points (laughs) per game. But if you only have four wide receivers, four of these top 30 wide receivers, and you're starting three of them every single week, it doesn't matter what the variance gives you from a week to week basis. Cause you're starting them every single week. So the total points matter, not the points per game. It's just, you keep plugging these players in because the difference between the wide receiver 16 and the wide receiver 30 is something like 3.8 points per game in a PPR league. Like that's nothing that really doesn't matter that much. Mm-hmm. So how I approach this is from a roster construction standpoint. I do not want to have any more than plus one on my minimum starting requirements of whatever league I'm in, I have a lot of leagues that are start three and I only roster three wide receivers because I know I can trade for wide receivers. I can trade for all the cheap ones and fill in my spots as I need to throughout the season. I treat it almost like other people treat their RB2 spot because I know the points per game aren't super predictable. They don't really matter. I'm just going to be filling those spots as much as I need to not as much as I want to. I don't start wide receivers in my flex very often either because I just don't have enough of them. So the way I treat it is let other people roster 11 of them or 20 of them or however many they want. And that's my leverage point is the fact that they aren't chasing the positions that I am and they are my bank whenever I want to go cash in a running back or a third round pick.
0: Yeah. So uh, let me ask you this, and this is this because this would be I, I, I know Josh very well. So I know that this would be his follow up question if he had a microphone in front of him. So I feel like it's it's important for me to represent that for him. What would be what is your goal at wide receiver then? Because so, you know, for instance, your your quarterback strategy to get to, the you know, the top five quarterbacks you know that you're not going to draft into that. So your goal beyond the startup is going to be to trade into that. What about wide receiver? Like, is it just kind of whatever happens in the draft? I'm good with that. Just, you know, just kind of set it and forget it. Or do you have a a somewhat of a goal to kind of trade into at the wide receiver position?
1: In a dynasty team where you are, is not where you should be, is not where you should be trying to go. Yeah. The wide receiver position should not be treated, in my opinion, as this value sink where you dump all of your value um, into multiple roster spots where you're not necessarily intending to start. You're just trying to accrue some sort of trade value. So the way that I approach it is I try to find targets as many targets as I can, as cheaply as I can. And when one of the elite guys gets hurt, um, I think it was last year, Jamar chase had a hip injury, right. He was out for four weeks or so. Mm -hmm. I picked up three different shares of Jamar chase because I way overpaid to get him and I had three wide receivers in those leagues. So it offered me an opportunity to reach into the very elite tier, which matters by using other, Assets that I had I had acquired through proper roster construction, not wide receivers. And I was able to further insulate and leverage the fact that I don't carry very many of these. So if I'm starting an elite one, that's fantastic. I would like to. But until I can find a, a distinct buying opportunity for them, I don't care who I have in my wide receiver spot. It can be Deontay Johnson as
0: my wide receiver one, and I'm
1: totally happy with that.
0: Yeah. So like, because my, like, I, I I think I'm, I'm, I think I'm fully on board with this. Like if I was going to articulate, you know, kind of my approach to it, I do want to like continuously shrink the universe Mm -hmm. at wide receiver. I would like to get it kind of to, you know, similar to your, to your quarterbacks in a perfect world, I get it to where I've got you know if i'm rostering four wide receivers because i only have to start two like that's the that's the absolute most that i feel like i need and you know but i would love to get it to a point where i've got the top four you know like young wide receivers um i like that's that would be the ideal situation it's a very low priority for me but that's what i would like to kind of get to and it sounds like you would like you know, you've got this this very understated goal that's the same, but it's really based on I've got it like in order to get there, I've got to be able to get there through arbitrage, right? Like
1: absolutely. And so I just pulled up my roster shit because I don't want people to think that I think wide receivers are entirely worthless. My top four rostered wide receivers across my 18 leagues are AJ Brown, Jamar Chase, Justin Jefferson, and Deontay Johnson. Yeah. So I have good receivers, but I didn't get there by drafting these players in a startup. I got there by trading into them when a buy opportunity presented itself.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So like, and and even then, like sometimes it's it's a matter of trading away, you know, one wide receiver, like upgrading a wide receiver through trade. Absolutely. Um, And. Like even then, you know, even when there is that arbitrage, you know, kind of opportunity there, when there's an actual buy window, not like a Twitter buy window, not a, not a, a pop dynasty type of buy window, a real buy window. It's still like, I really try and operate just within the wide receiver position as much as I can, like maybe some draft capital, maybe some, you know, back end bench guys but anytime somebody comes to me and, and asks about trading away an elite quarterback for even if it's multiple elite wide receivers i'm just not i'm not interested at all like you're good with the wide receivers you have you don't really need to upgrade them you can because we tinker with our rosters it's something to do it's the offseason what else are we going to do with our lives you can make some trades and try and upgrade at wide receiver, but stepping outside of the wide receiver position to do it is where you start losing, you know, kind of that, the, the roster build that you created and that you've been working towards, you start chipping away at that. And next thing you know, I mean, you're kind of, you're kind of, you're, you're digging into your foundation and creating an instability. So, You know, like, like I said, like I'll give away some draft capital, but the main goal is going to be, all right, I've got this wide receiver who, you know, has been kind of maintaining his value somewhere in the top, you know, 16. And now all of a sudden this top five wide receiver just got hurt and he's available and all it takes is this top 16 wide receiver plus a little bit of draft capital. Then it's worth doing. Yep. but if you have to it, you know if you have to chip away at the core of your team in order to do it it's just like you said the the difference between one wide receiver and the next is just not worth that action you know
1: here's what i would challenge the super friends to do if you're in multiple leagues just do this in one league figure out how many receivers you have to start let's say it's 3 and find a way to trade away as many receivers as you can until you're down to four or five and just try it for one year. I promise you receiver is a very accessible position. If you don't like it, you can grab five or six more and build out the depth on your bench and get back to the roster construction you may have had before. But I think that you will find that it's liberating to have so few wide receivers to where you're not making a roster decision uh, in week six, where you're trying to figure out which wide receiver to start because you only have a few and you're just going to start them. It's going to, it's going to provide different opportunities than maybe you've had before in how you build your teams. Just try it in one leap.
0: Yeah. All right. Next question. And I'm actually going to combine two questions here because they're very, very, they're, they're similar. And I think that they really kind of work together. So first is from Jason and he says, he asks, what are some tips and advice on using draft equity leverage on a league. For example, you have six of the 12, 24 first round picks, um, from a productive struggle build. So essentially how, how would you leverage that once you've acquired, you know, half of the first round of the next draft and equip username asks, how can I leverage my rookie draft to improve my team other than making picks? Basically, how can I take advantage of a window of a lot of activity?
1: yeah i, I want to ask you a question do you ever get nervous if you have too many first round picks um
0: hmm, that's a good question I, I don't know if i've ever ended up in that situation to be honest i don't I don't prioritize rookie picks enough um but i could yeah i could see that uh mm-hmm. absolutely you know as i as i sit here and try and put myself in that position yeah i mean, Kind of the worst case scenario would be getting stuck making those picks. <laughs> like Exactly. Yeah, it, like we say it all the time. The worst thing that you can do with a rookie pick is make the pick. <laughs> like Yes.
1: Yeah. The I mean it was a leading question. I was leading the witness for sure. But like yeah. the way I see draft picks, especially first round picks, is very similar to the embodied energy it takes to take let's say a pot of water and to boil it. So, you know, it raises one degree at a time as you're putting the, the pot of water um, on, the, on the burner. And then you reach this stopping point, right? You're at 211 degrees and it takes this incredible amount of energy to push the water from 212 water to 212 steam. It takes like 144 times the energy from the previous uh, rate of gain. That's what I think of with draft picks. What you're trying to do is you're trying to convert all of this value and induce this state change to get something that really matters, to get this elite set of assets on your team. And drafting players is a really difficult way to do it. If you just look at base rates, at best, you're like 50-50 through most of the draft. You're pretty high, 70-80% to at the 101, but it's such a steep decline after that that you don't get that state change of boiling water to steam. The way that you do it is by getting players that have done it before that people are either tired of or people see these shiny picks and they want to do something with them. When I'm sitting with picks, especially on draft day, I'm nervous as hell because I don't want to make them. I don't want to make that bet because I know there are better bets out there at equivalent value. And so I don't like trying to leverage my league mates with draft picks. I like only carrying three or four at most because otherwise I feel like I could get caught holding the bag. And so to move on to Quippy username's question about leveraging because of the activity, what I'm trying to do on draft day is not trade away those picks. Hopefully I've already done that several weeks before, if not months before. What I'm trying to do is I'm trying to consolidate because typically rosters expand at that time and people aren't paying attention to roster limits. And so I'm trying to do three for twos, two for ones whenever I can, just to get minor tier ups um, so that I am not stuck after the draft when, when waivers are open uh, with a roster crunch. I wanna have fewer roster spots than everyone else in those leagues post-draft so that I can pick up waiver claims.
0: Yeah. I like that a lot. So this is one of the things that, you know, you and I have been talking quite a bit about, although, I mean, we've never really dug in. We just kind of like breeze past it every time we talk, but the concept of value, like this is, this is where it gets really weird. Right. Because, um, and, and this is why I say it's such an, an abstract concept that it's not the right thing for us to be really using, uh, to, to, you know, to measure the, whatever, whatever you want to call it, the utility of a player or of a, of a draft pick of an asset. So if you end up with six of those, of those 12 picks and, you know, let's say that you've got the top six picks Mm -hmm. for instance, you want to trade away one hundred and one, and you know we can. We'll just stick with twenty twenty three and say Bijan Robinson. We knew was going to be one hundred and one. He should have been. But you want to trade that away. You want to. You want to first of all mitigate some risk, and second, take advantage of that "quote unquote" value. Well, the move that you're supposed to make would be to trade one hundred and one slash Bijan Robinson for you know, Jonathan Taylor or Brees Hall, plus another first round pick, you know, you're just kind of s- like slowly moving back in the draft. That's the way that it's supposed to work. Well, if you have all the first round picks and there's no, there's nobody who can, you know, make up that value for you. But, you know, so, so it's like a move that you can't really make, but it's also a move that you have to make. Like it shouldn't, put us in that type of position that's that's not even fair so you know that's that's where being a slave to the concept of value just kind of puts us in a really bad spot and to me that's part of what we're talking about like when when you say the more picks you have the more nervous you get because it's going to be harder to to move those picks and get the return that you're supposed to get you know but Then it becomes, all right, so do I just accept the fact that I'm, that I put myself in a position where I'm not going to be able to get full quote unquote value for this? I'm not going to get full price or do I just say, all right, well then I'm just, I'm just going to make the pick and hope for the best. Like which one is more negative EV, right? And it's like, I don't know. Like it's, it's, that's that's a bad spot to be in. Uh, but there's it's a no-win situation, you know. And you've created the best case scenario there, saying you have picks one through six. Mm-hmm. Let's
1: say you have pick one ten. The the thing that really bothers me um in the Twitter space right now is this narrative that picks always gain value. So you should trade for future picks because it's like a savings bond. Mm-hmm. Future picks are not a savings bond the 101 is worth so much and it should be Mm -hmm. almost every other pick after that is a terrible bet you should not be making these bets you should be trading them for different values for proven players but if you have the 110 you can't get a future first typically in most leagues you can't trade a 2023 110 for a random 2024 first And that tells me that not all picks gain value. Not all future picks gain value because the 110, the 111, and the 112 represent a quarter of first round draft picks in most leagues. So right, right off the bat, one quarter of those picks have lost value in a year. Now, we don't know which ones those are going to be necessarily, but you're buying risk of losing value, not gaining value.
0: Yeah, we talk about it every year. You know, we're always trying to identify what's the point where you would trade a 2023 first for a 2024 first. Well, if that 24 24 first ends up being on the wrong side of that that delineator as well, then you're trading for 2025. And at no point do you actually get some scoring out of this. <laughs> like, right. it, so yeah, it's it's yeah it it it, it does it makes it just kind of there's. I mean, the, the reason that they say this is like, there's, there's a part of this that gets left out, right? Like they say, uh, you know, a future pick only is going to gain value. And it's, it's like, I mean, like it, it, it should, it, it will gain a little bit of value before it, you know, until it gets determined what that pick is going to be. Sure. It's going to gain a little bit. But that's because it's starting from a very low point. Like there's nowhere to go but up. There's no value in something that that may or may not happen a year from now. Like, that's like that's the, the and I wrote an article at DLF. Um, you can get there from my link tree on my uh, Twitter profile about the concept of time value. Which just kind of talks about, you know, like if it, like if you open a savings account and you put in $10, the reason that that accrues interest is because they have to make up for the fact that instead of using that $10 right now for something that's worth $10, you're saying that I'll just wait a year and, and then I'll spend that money, you know, maybe a year, maybe more whatever but you know i'm gonna forgo the the you know the the value that of the uh of the money in my hand and you know the ability that i have to go buy some utility i'm gonna forgo that like they have to make that up to you you know and and it's it's the same thing with rookie picks like there has to be It has to start from a lower point to make up for the fact that you're giving up immediate value. You're giving up immediate utility. You're giving up a player who's going to score points in 2023 to just kind of sit around and wait until 2024. The problem is with a savings account, that's actually going to accrue interest regardless. And we know how much it's going to accrue. That draft pick, like you said, it doesn't have to. There are a lot of opportunities for it to not gain anything, which means it's actually kind of losing value if you think about it. So yeah, like this is something that deserves like its own episode, the whole, all of the value stuff, players, picks, all of it, um, deserves a lot of thought and a lot of conversation. So at some point, we need to get to that. So we have uh did we did we fully answer that one? Um I'm curious what you do on draft day. Can you can you talk me through that? Um so I feel I feel needs with rookie picks, um, whether it's trading or if I if I am going to make the pick, which that does happen. I mean, you've seen that. Like I traded for your uh your first round pick in trade Addict six. And I took, so I had picks two and three, I took Bryce Young and CJ Stroud because my quarterback situation is awful in that league. And that's kind of my only chance to, uh, to adjust that, to amend that position. So it, you know, like the odds say that I get at least one of those two wrong and possibly both of them. So it was still, like you said, it's a bad bet. But that's kind of my best opportunity to address that position. Bijan Robinson, I ended up drafting him in a few leagues. I guided my team to the very bottom, got 101, and then drafted Bijan Robinson. I did that several times just because I, you know, there's there's still it it, it there isn't another opportunity to uh, to find a running back with that type of potential um, at that relatively low cost. Like I didn't actually have to give, I mean, I, I had to give up a season, I guess you have to say that, but I mean, it wasn't going to be a good season anyways. So like, I didn't actually have to, like, I didn't have to trade anything. It didn't cost me an extra buy-in or anything. Like I just got Bijan Robinson essentially for free just by existing. So like, <laughs> Like it, that's the only time you're ever going to get Bijan Robinson, just because of who you are. <laughs> like, like it doesn't matter how nice you are to people; they're not just going to give you Bijan Robinson. So, like that's, it, you know, that's that's one of those times where it's make it's worth it to make the pick, um, just because it it running back, man. Like that's that's the last time you're going to get them for even a reasonable price, much less for nothing you know, for a draft pick that you were just kind of handed.
1: I mean, if you think about it, the people who are holding Bijan right now could play 10 weeks or so of putting him in their RB one spot and trade him probably for exactly what they could get today. It's Mm -hmm. one of those assets where it's just like, if you have him, lucky you. I I think that we're going to look back and say, why didn't, why didn't we try to get more Bijan at this point in the year? I know the price feels crazy today, but he's young. He's going to put up a ton of points. You could hold him for three or four years and get all of that prime, or you can hold him for half a season and trade him for exactly what you could today. That's, that's a no lose situation aside from injury. But even if he get in, gets injured, there's the hope of next year that you can trade him on. He's, he's an asset that just almost can't
0: be soiled. Mm-hmm. Yeah, especially with the state of the running back position right now, like yeah. Like I said, uh, you know, when we were talking about who's 101 in redraft and you look at the running back position and it's like uh, there's I don't think there's anybody with more potential than Bijan Robinson at the moment. I still uh, to me Jonathan Taylor is still the best running back in the league. And, but it's, I mean, he, he gets hurt by Anthony Richardson, but it's still just even more than that. He already has a running back one overall season under his belt. He's got fairly significant usage already. Like there's just not a whole lot of competition out there at the moment who are healthy. That's the other caveat, Brees Hall, you know, there's, there's not a whole lot of, of threat to be John Robinson right at the moment.
1: Yeah. And if you're going to roster Jonathan Taylor right now, be prepared to have sort of the Nick Chubb value arc of at this point in Nick Chubb's career, he was, he was valued pretty highly. You could get a whole bunch for him and then it dips, but then it starts to climb back up when you realize some people are just built to carry the ball 300 times, you know, he's a different type of person. And so you either want to get off that train soonish or you want to hang on for a a multi-year ride
0: yeah yeah and and just kind of accept what the running back position is and Mm -hmm. accept the fact that you know i mean we have to do this at every position we uh, well not necessarily quarterback necessarily um but like wide receiver for instance we have to accept the fact that most of them are going to give us a wide receiver one week like half the time even the good ones, even the elite ones, and they're going to have some down games throughout the season. And you're not going to see it coming. We have to accept that running back. We have to accept the fact that they've got a dangerous job description and it's going to lead to them missing time pretty much inevitably. At some point, they're going to be every single one of them is going to be out for, you know, several weeks uh, in the, in the middle of the season. So like, we just have to accept that piece of it, you know, except the fact that like Jonathan Taylor is probably, st- he's going to miss some time from time to time when he's on the field, he's going to be great. He's going to miss some time. Don't let that be a deterrent.
1: It was crazy to me that he hadn't missed a practice from high school until last year. And then he misses like two or three weeks and we're all out on him. It was it's just <laughs> like, what does this guy have to do?
0: <laughs> to be fair, like I got tired just thinking about that. So like for him to actually go through it, I like he deserved a day off. Like, I, I'm not <laughs> saying that the, like the injuries were legit. I know that I fully acknowledge that, but even if they weren't, I would say, dude, take a week off. <laughs> just stop <laughs> just for a minute. <laughs> uh, so we got we've got one more question, right?
1: Mm-hmm. Do we
0: do we feel like we answered Jason and uh Quippies well enough?
1: I think that there are a whole bunch of different directions we can go with these questions and that's why I appreciate the super friends putting them out there because we just get to pick a tangent and just explore what happens. Um I think you could ask the same question in 2 weeks and we'd come up with a different answer.
0: Yeah. I get I guess a, a, a kind of a quick down and dirty way to potentially leverage some picks if you've collected a bunch of them before the season even started would be to just use those as currency and kind of back to what you were talking about Jamar Chase with the hip injury last year created a buy opportunity. You know, be ready to pounce on those. Throw some first round picks at some temporarily injured elite level studs. And start doing that in season. Don't wait for the season to end because as much as they say those draft picks are going to keep gaining value up until they're on the clock. That's not the case. As soon as those picks are locked in at, at an actual spot and they're no longer a random 2024 first, that's when they start losing value. In my opinion. Totally agree. Yeah. So, so yeah, uh, I, I would start using those as currency. Um, you know, sooner rather than later. You can wait until the season starts because that's where those buy opportunities come from is when these guys are actually on the field and actually getting hit and getting hurt. But yeah, uh, I I would start week one. The first time somebody gets hurt, I would buy him for a first round pick.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: So we have one more question, right?
1: Uh, Dynasty Onion?
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Cool. Um, do you want to read that one? I don't have it pulled up yet.
1: Yeah. So what strategies or tactics or gambits work together to build a dynasty in the same way that stacking a quarterback and wide receiver do in a tournament? What bonuses can you stack?
0: Oh, man. I like question. That. Yeah. I'm happy to jump
1: in if you want a moment to think on this.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Let me think on it a little bit.
1: Sure. So there's a lot of ways that you can take this one. Um, But what I wanted to focus on is QB and wide receiver stacking in a tournament. What are you trying to accomplish, right? You're trying to beat a thousand people, let's say. And so that is your opponent is a thousand people in a dynasty league. um, Typically your opponent is one person, right? You usually have a heads up matchup. And so, what I wanted to do was explore how I could get upside against one person. When I'm exploring that, I think further, who are my actual opponents? It's not 11 people, it's typically just a couple, right? There's a few favorites in a given league. Um, I'm going to assume for this exercise that I am one of them. Um, So if I have, some of the positional advantages that we've talked about today. I've got several elite quarterbacks. Maybe I have Mark Andrews on my team. What I'm going to do to pursue upside against one person is I'm going to look at their roster. And let's say they have somebody like a Josh Allen. I would love to find my way into Stefan Diggs. That way, if Josh Allen has a big day, I've neutralized the advantage that my opponent has gained one of the other favorites has gained um by throwing for four touchdowns two of them may go to stefan diggs meanwhile i have other elite quarterbacks that i'm not stacking with my wide receivers i'm doing an anti-stack i'm stacking my opponent's quarterbacks and wide receivers together on my team so by taking away josh allen's advantage i've given myself an opportunity to have my quarterbacks make a bigger difference because I've minimized Josh Allen's does that make sense is that something that yeah
0: okay yeah yeah absolutely um yeah I mean and that's something that I've kind of talked about it you know it's it's along the lines of we talked about this last time in fact you know kind of the the poker saying of play the player not the cards um you know you're like you're it sounds like you're kind of uh you're kind of lining up the two lineups next to each other and just kind of mapping out. All right. So, um, you know, it's almost like, uh, it, it's almost like, uh, the electoral college a little bit. I, if I pick up some so enough votes here, then it doesn't matter if I lose by this many here, you know, yep. just kind of, um, kind of the same type of thing. Like you're just kind of balancing rosters, um, and trying to get it to a point where they don't have any outs you know you've you've kind of created this lineup that can't really there you know beyond like the worst case scenario essentially you know you're at least going to be in this matchup if not you know win that matchup so yeah i i think that one makes a lot of sense um i talk about career arcs a lot i think that's kind of one of the a, a strategy you can look at you know i kind of look at it as Uh, similar to like buying a house, you know, to me, like if you draft a running back, you're kind of taking out a mortgage, like you're going to have to keep paying for the running back position, you know, in perpetuity anyways. And so, you know, if you've got the cash to pay for a running back up front, like you're, you're still taking out a mortgage essentially. Whereas you just pay cash for a for a quarterback or even a young wide receiver um, who's already broken out, and you're done paying. You're not paying a mortgage. You're, you've just got that guy long term, and you don't have to address the position again for a while, um, which you know frees you up to focus on the the positions with high turnover, like running back and tight end. So yeah, that, that's that's one of them for dynasty. I think. Um, one of them that, that this is really kind of a tent pole for QBX, but it's the one that people have the hardest time with is being willing to, uh, being willing to make lineup decisions at every single position, not just, you know, not just your flex spots. If you're playing set it and forget it at every position, you're missing out on some upside because you've got, you're have got you going to have some quarterbacks, especially if you take the QBX approach. You're going to have quarterbacks on your bench who have a better matchup and higher upside for the week than your quarterback one, and I don't care how good your quarterback one is. I mean, I kind of care. Like, you're probably not taking Pat Mahomes out of your lineup ever. There's kind of no reason to. The only time that Pat Mahomes really struggles is against my Broncos. So, but it, even then, so if he's playing the Broncos, consider benching him. That doesn't mean you have to. He He's generally fine. He still has the highest floor of any player in the entire game, but. You know, if you're, if you're looking for upside and we should be every single week, we should be looking at upside. You know, you, you consider benching that, you know, a, a good quarterback, a great quarter in elite quarterback, you still consider benching them in a bad matchup. Like, again, you don't have to, but you should at least be willing to consider it. And you should be willing to play this entire game by, you know, by making decisions with all of the resources that are available to you, your entire roster, like the, we're not just kind of, we're not just like throwing names on there just to take up space. I would rather have an empty roster spot than a player that I'm never going to use. So, and I'll have a completely empty bench if it means, it's either roster some players who don't have any like any real upside or just an empty bench. I'm like, I, I I don't, I'll just go with the empty empty bench. Thank you very much. Because as I go along, I'm going to find some players with some actual upside, but you know, but being willing to make decisions among the players that you have set it and forget it is one of the absolute worst strategies and especially in dynasty with how quickly things can change from season to season, how differently each season looks. If you're not willing to consider making you know making decisions within your lineup beyond injuries and bye weeks, I mean you're just taking points off of the table, you're taking away uh potential scoring every week and you're making it harder on yourself to actually it, because you're saying that this lineup, this exact mix of players is forever going to be better than anything anyone else can come up with, which is just patently wrong.
1: And I think we run into this problem, not just at the quarterback position, but at the tight end position and at the running back position. Um, mm-hmm. People draft a David Montgomery because they see a floor. And I get that. I do. But we know that so many injuries occur that you probably should be starting some of these lesser or no-name running backs ahead of David Montgomery most weeks if you have a really deep running back room. But we get embarrassed. I think that's what it is. Is we get embarrassed to start some of these less sexy names at the running back position. And we play it safe by drafting, trading for and starting David Montgomery. And that's a huge mistake that I think we can all sort of reflect upon because I've done it myself at times. And why roster all these running backs if you're not gonna start them, you know? Mm -hmm. the same thing is true with, with tight end. We draft the tight end seven. We draft Dawson Knox last year. And we feel compelled to start him every week because he's Dawson Knox. But you can play some defense matchups at tight end and get an advantage there. We know uh, about halfway through the season which defenses are allowing the tight end to produce. And you should be targeting those matchups as opposed to sticking to a pre-draft prognostication that Dawson Knox is going to be the tight end seven. I don't agree at the wide receiver, wide receiver position. I think that that is very much a set it and forget it
0: position because the variance is so
1: difficult to, to smooth out.
0: Yeah. I agree with that too. And yeah, like to, I I made a blanket statement that I don't even uh, actually believe in, (laughs) but like, cause yeah, wide receiver. And we say it all the time. There's no reason to bench a healthy wide receiver. If, if they're not on by and they're perfectly healthy, and you just kind of accept the outcome. Like I said, I like it's better to have them in the lineup when they have a down game, than to pull them out of the lineup for you know for whatever reason, whatever it is that you're looking for, whatever it is that you're that you're chasing, whatever it is that scares you off of that player, and then have them go off anyways. I learned this the the hard way a few years ago with Kenny Galladay because he had a really tough matchup. This is when he was actually good by the way. He was still with Detroit. He was the the only wide receiver in Detroit at the time. He had a really tough matchup against Carolina when Josh Norman was kind of at the top of his game and he was just shutting everybody down. And I was like, oh man, like I'm getting Kenny Galladay out of my lineup uh, because Josh Norman is just going to completely neutralize him. And then Kenny Galladay ends up with like 20 targets and it was like, I mean, he didn't do a lot with any of them, but it's just so much volume that it didn't matter that the matchup sucked. He still just kind of volumed his way to a wide receiver one week. So it's just like that can happen. That can happen at wide receiver. There's just, there's honestly just no reason to bench one for a different one. So yeah, I agree there. The other positions though. I think we should be making decisions. And quarterbacks are the most susceptible to a bad matchup. So, like, running backs a little bit. But right now, quarterback is the position that can be vulnerable in a bad matchup. So that's the one uh, where, where, it. like I said, it's a tough one to get behind. But, man, like, you unlock so much scoring potential if you can convince yourself to make decisions at quarterback and not just set it and forget it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I'm interested this year, talking through some of these lineup decisions on these elite squads with you and to see if it's similar to the wide receiver position where I'm just going nuts and I'm starting the wrong guy every week. I think that's a possibility.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So uh, one more one more kind of tactic, I guess. I, sh- I, I I sat here thinking, should I bring this up or not? I know better, but I'm going to do it anyways. So the whole handcuffing running backs discussion, handcuffing your own running backs versus handcuffing other people's running backs. To me, like the the don't handcuff your own running back. Um, you know, give your roster more potential, more upside. Like that's a redraft point of view. Uh And in redraft, I fully agree with it. I don't, I do, if I only have five bench spots, I'm not giving up one of them for Matt Breda just because I have Saquon Barkley. Like they're, they're going to be better options available to me for one thing. Um, And the other thing is the only way that bench spot gets justified is if Saquon Barkley actually gets hurt. So yeah, like in, in redraft, I'm fully on board with this. I've, I, I was curious, I've, I've got JJ Zacharyson in my Scott fishbowl league. I'm kind of curious if his position on it changes in SFB just because you can't trade. So like the idea that, you know, you've got somebody else's backup, they become the starter when the, the starter gets hurt. And that increases the value of your roster. Well, in Scott Fishbowl, there isn't really a value to any anybody because you can't trade them. So, like, it's like, what does it necessarily do for you? You know. But in Dynasty, yeah. No, no. Go
1: ahead. Yeah. I was just gonna say, in constructing my Scott Fishbowl team, I drafted. I think 11 running backs I, I drafted as much as just about anybody else in the entire tournament because the dead zone got pushed way down. Did you see that in the scoring format? Like the dead zone is 15 or 20 spots lower compared to yeah. most redraft leagues. And so there's so much opportunity to get really good starts out of the running backs in SFB this year.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's true. I, and I mean, I think part of it is, like, the tight end premium stuff. Part of it is the existence of kickers and their pretty significant, pretty substantial floor. So, yeah, there's kind of a lot of reasons. But, yeah, I mean, that just kind of furthers the point. Like, there's, you know, handcuffing handcuffing other, guy, other people's running backs just doesn't have quite the expected value that it would in a league where you'd be able to then trade them to the person who's now desperate for a running back, you know? So, um, but to me that also works in dynasty, partly because of the bigger, uh, you know, the, the bigger benches, um, and, you know, as a result of the size of the benches, the fact that waivers aren't nearly as fertile you know, like, like if you're, if your running back gets hurt, you're going to have a much harder time finding somebody, you know, other than paying somebody's ridiculous price in trade, you're going to have a hard time finding somebody to, to plug into that running back spot. Whereas if you handcuff your running back, if you handcuff uh, Nick Chubb with Jerome Ford and Nick Chubb gets hurt, I mean, now you've just got a you've got another starter for as long as Nick Chubb is out, which is kind of perfect because once Nick Chubb is healthy, you want to be able to get him back into your lineup. So, so yeah, I, like I I know that that people disagree with that one quite a bit still, but I think for Dynasty, that's one of the tactics that can that can make a pretty big difference and create a little bit of an advantage.
1: I think until people start rostering significantly more running backs at the back of their roster, yeah, it's it's an argument that can continue because it doesn't <laughs> matter so much until people are consistently at two or three to one and they're running back to wide receiver ratio. Like who gives a shit, you know, cause they're all <laughs> out there still. And then the third string running back is going to become important, you know, in the latter half of the season.
0: Yeah. Yep. That's true too. Yeah. Yeah. Like the, the bigger, uh like the the bigger strategy is to just roster lots of running backs i don't care whose whose handcuffs they are you just need a lot of them until it it hurts and then you keep going you find a way to get another one (laughs) yeah exactly (laughs) (laughs) i didn't end up with nearly as much running back depth as i would have uh as i would have liked in scott fishbowl so far but yeah that one is also, it's really kind of one on the waiver wire anyways. Yep. So. Totally. Yeah. yeah. So we'll get there. But
1: Yeah. I appreciate the question from Dynasty Onion though. He's always got good ones and I, I'd like to dig into it more, but we're already about an hour and a half into this one.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It, it, but it's also stuff that we can talk about ongoing as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, like we like we mentioned last time, we really kind of want to be able to check in on some um some you know, some actionable advice for dynasty leagues, even as we're going through the season and just kind of managing redraft rosters and you know, week to week rosters, whether it's redraft or dynasty. Either way, we're just kind of talking waivers, we're talking, you know, here's some players you can drop, here's some players to stash but while they're still free. Um, before they cost a bunch in fab, you know, we'll all that stuff that we typically do, but we also want to be able to check in uh, on just kind of some, some dynasty management for people. And that's one of them that I think we could, uh, we could hit pretty frequently as well.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. I appreciate, um, I appreciate you having me on again. And of I course. think we're building, I think we're building a really good uh, theory based rapport. And I think it's going to be fun to do this, you know, for, for the rest of the season.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I was going to thank you for coming on. And I was like, wait a minute. Like it's, (laughs) it's just kind of expected at this point. So, um, but it, it, but it's always great to talk with you. And I, I mean, for the moment, I guess we can still act like you're a guest. You kind (laughs) of technically are, um, but I mean, this, this is home. So yeah, like it, it's, it's not exactly a guest situation, but it was good to catch up with you and thank you to, uh, to everybody for the questions. It, again, some very good questions, um, very important stuff. So yeah, really good, uh, really good conversation and some stuff that we'll be able to revisit for now though. Let's wrap this up for the week. As we do that, ask you for a quick favor. If we haven't already, Uh, If you haven't already, subscribe to the podcast, wherever you listen to the podcast. Rate and review the podcast, if you would. really helps us to get out to more people, involve more people in the conversation. And then we get to really drill down to the topics that are the most useful to you, our super friends. You can... Like, I was getting back to the Twitter stuff. I was falling back in love with Twitter. And then I got rate limited one time, and I was like, "All right, screw this! Like, I'm back to <laughs> double birds at the freaking bird app." And then so he changed it to an X. <laughs> like, yeah. All right, that doesn't that doesn't change my feelings on it. Um, but at FF Tommy B is criminally underfollowed on that 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 flaming freaking heap it is x twitter whatever so you should definitely give him a follow I'm there I'm there too as Superflex, dude I just hate it but yeah we're there Uh, get at us with you know DMs mentions always happy to retweet trade polls whatever you've got Uh, this episode was dedicated in loving memory to James Brankatoulos thank you to DLF for the platform thank you to Heart and Soul Radio for the music And above all else, thank you for listening. And until next week, stay sexy and super flexy.